The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Hard to Believe, Answering Common Objections to Christianity. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. We're in a series this morning uh, called Hard to Believe. This is our third week in it, uh, and uh, it's been good for the last couple weeks. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to preach over at our Moline Church, uh, and that was good. And then this week, I'm with you. And uh, I just want to say that, that this series has been uh, challenging. Uh, this has been um, something that's been stirring the staff's heart, and our other men that are going to be preaching have been stirred by it. Uh, and it's just interesting to actually sit in a question and really look at both sides of the aisle. Uh, I think oftentimes as, as believers, as we come in, that we kind of get one side of an argument and, and maybe forget about the other side. And this series is kind of forcing us to not do that, to uh, really think about our neighbor, our coworkers, our friends, and the people around us, and uh, really sit in what's going on. So as we are in this series, we want to do that. We want to be thoughtful uh, in the midst of it and really try to provide good answers rather than uh, um, just throwing something out there and saying, you know, um, we're right and you're wrong and, uh, you know, take that for what it is. And, and that's not the case of this series. And we hope that's never the case really in our preaching. But uh, as we are in this, we, we hope that that's what you hear, that, that uh, God cares for us, loves us, wants a relationship with us. And uh, there are answers out there. And, and we're glad people are asking questions and, and going with that. So this morning, we find ourselves in the question of, isn't Christianity repressive? Or as some have said, isn't Christianity a straight jacket? Uh, and as we look at that, I think there's maybe there's more than two, but I'm going to give us kind of two reasons. I think one is a very simple reason why people have kind of said that. And I think that just comes from Christians misrepresenting what faith is. And the other side may go a little bit deeper. You see, when Christians come in and make a claim to truth and, and an absolute truth, that sometimes sits wrong with people. To make a claim to have an absolute truth uh, means that people outside of that group aren't part of that, that people don't have necessarily maybe access to it. And uh, really, people begin to believe that their freedom is being undermined when one group says, we have truth and you don't. And that's deeper than the first, but I think both of those uh, are accurate. Both of those are reasons why people are, are questioning this and seeing Christianity as a straitjacket. Uh, and we're going to talk about it this morning, and, and hopefully uh, we'll see that, that's, that Christianity is not a straitjacket, and we'll walk through uh, some of that. But let me try to give you a little bit of a, a story, an example, uh, to, to get us into this this morning. So growing up, uh, my house was a two-bathroom uh, house, and the master bathroom was really the one where everything took place. Everybody showered there and all that, and then the other bathroom was kind of a guest bathroom, right? So in the master bathroom, we had a scale. But the problem with that scale was, for as long as I could remember, it was never accurate. You could stand on it in the morning and it would tell you you weighed in at, uh, so I was a high schooler, so like 115 pounds, right? Like that's what I weighed in at. And then I could get on 20 minutes later and it would tell me I weighed like 205. And you could come back again at the end of the day and it would give you a different reading. And, and throughout the day you could do that. And throughout my life, I never really know if I know, knew like what I weighed. You know, like people would ask you things like for your ID and like I, the scale said this morning, like it was never an accurate number. And so this scale was a great scale if you were um, not really wanting to know where you were. But if you were trying to lose weight or gain weight, it was super ineffective, right? It, it wouldn't tell you the truth about yourself. It wouldn't tell you the truth of who you really were. And you see, the problem in my house wasn't that we weren't using a scale. 
The problem was we were using a faulty one. The scale we were using was broken. And, and when it comes to the question of isn't Christianity a straitjacket, the scale we use really matters. We need to know the truth about this. You see, because the broken scale never tells me the truth. The broken scale oftentimes tells me what I want to hear, or, or, or if I don't hear what I want to hear, I can just say, well, the scale's broken. But this morning as we're here, truth does matter. And truth is very important and maybe more important than you think. So as we dive into this this morning, let me pray for us, and then we'll get rolling. Father, we are thankful that you have uh, called us in. Uh, God, we've already really received a message through our song and liturgy this morning. We've seen that, that you desire to be close to your people, that you've given us a reason to sing. You've given us a reason to call out to you. And God, as we find ourselves in this place, maybe this morning we're here and we're skeptical and we have questions and maybe we have been viewing Christianity as a straitjacket. God, this morning I pray that you would help us to see the truth of you. And God, on the other side of that aisle, for those of us that have maybe been making Christianity look as if it's a straitjacket, God, I pray that you would speak truth into us as well, that we would see clearly who we are this morning, and we would see clearly who you are. God, may, may we use the right scale this morning to find out the truth about you and the truth about ourself. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So in the spirit of July 4th that we celebrated this week, I thought it would be helpful to read uh, one of the opening statements from the Declaration of Independence. It says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As I read that this morning, that statement has been a driving force in our country for some 241 years now. People have been pursuing life, liberty, and happiness. People of every nation and race and creed have been going after that. And in the midst of that, though, our country has put certain boundaries around the way in which we go about that pursuit of life and liberty and happiness. And it's not just our country. Other countries like it have put uh, rules in place, have put order in place to ensure that it's possible for all people to flourish, not just for some people to flourish, but for all people to flourish. So we see governments and, and cities and states coming around and putting rules in place. You see, our country has realized that there's a proper way to go about life, liberty, and happiness. So as we come to that, there are often two major misconceptions when it really comes to freedom. One is that freedom can only be found in the absence of restrictions. So freedom can only be found in the absence of restrictions. So anytime a rule is made or a law is made, that inhibits my freedom, and, and that's wrong or bad, and it needs to be uh, eradicated. The other side is freedom can only be found in the presence of restrictions. So you can obviously see right away when two groups of people with two opposite mindsets are going about freedom, there's probably going to be a bit of a clash there. There's probably going to be a problem. One group says no rules. The other says give us rules. But I hope that we're going to see this morning that the truth, of, the truth is that freedom can only be found in the presence of the right restrictions. Okay, True freedom can only be found in the presence of the right restrictions. How many fishermen do we have in the room this morning? Okay, like six of us. Okay, so for the rest, this will be a very unhelpful analogy. But <clears throat> so take, for instance, this morning, you, we've, we're around the Mississippi River. One of the most common fish to the Mississippi River is the bluegill fish. Okay, if you've been around there, you've seen them, you've, you've caught them, uh, and, and it's just common to the Mississippi. 
So let's take, for instance, say one of those fish grew a conscience. And one day that fish is swimming along and he decides, you know what? I'd rather walk around than swim around all day. I'd rather live up there and bask in the sunlight and get a, a tan on my fishy scales and just like not live this life anymore. I want to walk. I want to I be out there. So the fish plans for weeks on how he's going to do this. He comes up with his plan. He devises it. He talks to his friends about it. And he dreams of the day that he's going to walk on that, sh- on that shore and when the sun's going to beam on him. And then finally, one day, he gets up the nerve and he does it. He swims as fast as he can, kind of free willy style, right? And he's swimming toward the wall and he leaps up out of the water and he lands on the sandy beach of the mighty Mississippi. But within seconds, the bluegill fish realizes that he's made a massive mistake. You see, the bluegill fish has no legs to walk with. He's got no lungs that were made for breathing air outside of the water. And he has no advocate whatsoever to rescue him or throw him back in. You see, within minutes, this fish is dead and becomes bird food. Right? His intentions were good. He simply wanted to be free. But what he failed to recognize was that his ultimate freedom came within the confines of the river. His ultimate freedom came within the confines of the river. You see, with the right set of restrictions, the fish was truly free. But with the wrong impression of freedom, it's cost him his life. And there's really the opposite side of this coin is is true as well. Let's say that same fish decided, you know what? I would be better off living in a fish tank than I am out here in this Mississippi. It's unruly. Sometimes it goes up. Sometimes it's down. And I want to just live in a fish tank. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to get myself caught by a child. And he's going to put me in his fish tank and it'll be good. But then he gets put in this three by two tank if he's lucky. And he isn't truly free. Now all the days of his life, he's confined to this small tank when once he had a whole river to swim around in. Listen, obviously this morning you and I aren't fish. However, the same set of truths are true for us. In the presence of the right restrictions, we are truly free. But in both the absence of restrictions and in the presence of burdensome restrictions, it can truly cost us our life. It could truly cost us full life. See, one of the problems is that today in our culture, it's become a place where the individual is king. Remember as that fish is swimming around, and he's talking to his friends. And he says, I'm going sw- to be up on dry land. Not one of his friends said to him, that's a bad idea. Do you remember Hank? He tried that. We never saw him again, right? They never told him that, right? Because in our culture, It's become a place where the individual is king and every man is out for himself and every woman is out for herself. And for years, our school systems have taught that young boys and young girls can be anything they put their minds to, right? You've heard this before. You can be anything you put your mind to. You know, till I was uh, about a freshman in high school, I truly, legitimately, absolutely thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. Like I was good. Don't get me wrong, but I was not professional baseball player good, especially since at 11 years old, I got hit in the elbow with a fastball and I was afraid of them. And then every time that, that like pitcher would throw that kind of grave school or grade school curveball that kind of like looked like it was going to hit you, but would, would duck in. I was like the scared kid that would duck out of the way of it every time. But I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player and nobody ever told me, Hey Jeff, maybe you should pursue a sport where they don't throw balls at you. 
like I, I told our, our huddle just a few weeks back, it was something like our, our icebreaker question was like, what's one of the greatest lies maybe your parents told you? And I said, I think this is it, that I, I truly believe that I was going to be a baseball player until I was a freshman in high school. And nobody said you should pursue anything else. I really thought I was going to be that. But nobody told me that wasn't in the cards for me. So I just kept pursuing it. You see, in a culture where you can be anything you want, it's almost heresy to tell somebody they can't do something or they can't be something, right? Or maybe they should pursue something else because who are you to tell me that I can't pursue or I can't spend my whole life pursuing my dream? Who are you to tell me that I can't do this thing I've set my mind to? You see, my freedom has become my highest priority. And if you don't agree with what I'm going after, then you need to get out of my way. Right? You've, you've seen it on Instagram or Facebook, the quote, right? Like, just surround yourself with people who, who care about you or pour into you or, or, or are encouraging you or telling you that, that you're the man or you're the woman. And you, you see it and you kind of roll your eyes at it. But many of us have bought into that. That, that I'm going to surround myself with people who are going to tell me what I want to hear. That are going to tell me that... that, that what I believe is true is true. And see what happens oftentimes in that pursuit of freedom is we begin to isolate ourselves, and we begin to fix our eyes upon ourselves. When my eyes are fixed upon myself, it's really hard for me to see anybody else. It's really hard for me to look up and see you, which kind of begs the question for us this morning. Do we even have a responsibility to our fellow man? Do I have a responsibility to you to aid you in your pursuit of freedom, your pursuit of your life, liberty, and happiness. Because pop culture seems to be telling us that when we pursue our own individual freedom, it's at no regard for anyone else. That I need to go after this, and I need to do this. And what happens actually in the midst of that is I become pitted against you in my pursuit of life and liberty and happiness. And now we can't be friends because I'm trying to make it, and you're in my way. You see, in my, in my pursuit of individualism, in my pursuit of freedom, I don't have time for you and you don't have time for me because we're each going after what we want. So we don't really have time to sit down and have a conversation. What begins to happen here is it's a subtle form of slavery. And it's really slavery to ourself. We become enslaved to our dream, our goal, our, all these things we've dreamed up. And what happens here is we become a slave to ourself. Our thoughts are for ourselves. Our desires are for ourselves. Our passions are for ourselves. I have no obligation to anyone else. As the famous poet Ludacris said in a highly edited sonnet in 2001, move, get out the way. <laughs> right? I You're in the way. Don't listen to that this afternoon with your children. <laughs> but when a person's thoughts are only of their self, there becomes this fight inside of us to protect all that we're working towards. This fight to protect everything that I'm working towards. You see, they, we find ourselves in constant rivalries. We're looking around at everybody else and trying to figure out how we can one-up and how we can end around and how we can get through we're often angry at other people's successes. Why did she get that? Why did he get that? Haven't they seen what I've been doing? And we find ourselves angry. And then we get jealous when other people arrive at their dream, when, when that friend finally opens up their business and, and we're like, man, I wanted that. I've been going for that. She's not a good business owner. 
He's not a good, you name it. And we begin to live at odds with each other. And then there becomes little to no desire for a relationship. So quick, meaningless encounters with the opposite sex will do. Because in our slavery to ourselves, we can't truly be happy because there's a refusal to be known. Really, in the midst of our slavery to ourselves, we, become, we, we put ourselves in this position of not being able to be known. And intimacy can't take place because intimacy gets in the way of my freedom. See, if I get intimate with somebody, if I let somebody into my life, now they're in my way. Now I have to kind of think about them and think about where they're going and what they have going on. Any married person in the room is saying, amen, amen, this is true. You know when you got in that marriage relationship, you were maybe a couple weeks in and you were on your way home and you thought, you know what, I'm just going to stop and and maybe go to the gun range and, and just shoot off a few rounds. Or maybe others said, well, I'm just going to stop and have a quick drink with the guys. Or And then you got home and your wife said, where have you been? And you realized very quickly, like, oh. I'm not as free as I thought I was. (laughs) I no longer have the freedom to stop when I want to or do what I want to. And in our selfishness, in our slavery to ourselves, we can often get in in that mindset and say, well, I'm not going to let anybody else in because I want what I want and I want it when I want it. And we begin to block ourselves off. And when we are slaves to ourselves, Christianity often is seen as something in the way to our ultimate freedom because of its rules because of its regulations. You see, we begin to look at things like simple things like the Ten Commandments as this burdensome rule and, and list of things that we cannot do. Right? It's this list of, of don't steal and don't lie and don't murder and, and don't commit adultery and don't covet. And we see all these things and we're like, man, that's so restrictive. But really what we're doing is we're failing to see all the things that the, the Ten Commandments are telling us that we can do. So don't murder, for instance. That's a big one, right? All of us are always thinking about that, right? So what is, what is being said in don't murder? What's really being said is value life. Value your friendships. Value your relationships. Love people. Take up the account of the unborn. Like, just love life. When we hear don't steal, you think, man, but there's some things I want that I, I need. I, I don't have the resources to get them, but I'm going to do that. And what we're not hearing is God saying, enjoy all of the things that you do have. Enjoy the blessings you have been given. Believe that God's enough in the midst of it. And we could go on and on and on and on and on with that list, but I think that idea is birthed from somewhere, right? That idea that Christianity is a straitjacket, that it's repressive, is birthed from somewhere, But where did it come from? I think the truth of that statement is it comes from inside the Christian camp. The idea that Christianity is repressive or Christianity is a straitjacket just isn't something people wake up believing. They've seen it. They've watched it. Maybe they were friends with a believer in high school and they just saw, man, this this guy, he can't do anything. Or this girl, she's not allowed to do this or that. that." And they they get this idea that it's a straitjacket. You see, on the other side of the aisle, across from licentiousness, we find legalism. And legalism is the cost of, or excuse me, the cause of many outside of Christianity seeing it as a straitjacket. You see, the legalist says, I'm free because I follow the rules. And in a sense, the legalist is saying, I'm better than you, and therefore I deserve freedom. I'm better than you, and I deserve freedom. The legalist looks at the lost and says, I would never do that. 
And listen, as soon as we make that statement, a separation has occurred. The minute I look and you look at somebody else's life and say, I would never do that, we begin to feel a divide between us and that person or that group of people. See, the legalist finds it difficult to be around people who don't do things the way that they do them. The legalist, in an attempt to follow the rules, makes anyone who doesn't follow the rules feel like they don't measure up. And I I would also say the legalist also often makes it a point to let people know that they're not measuring up, that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that is where the idea that Christianity is a straitjacket comes from. Because many inside the Christian camp have led others to believe that something about faith is about following the rules. That something about faith is making sure you do things right. And and, and when you're a legalist, you have to let people know how well you're doing and how great things are going for you. And you don't really share with people the ugly of your life because nobody does that. Nobody, nobody shares the ugly. I mean, I, I'm a believer, so things have to be going well for me. And, and we begin to block other people off from our life. In the midst of these rules, the legalists make sure that, that they don't drink or they don't chew or they don't hang out with girls that do, right? Like, we, we have that separation. We have these things that divide us. And, and let me say this. I think sometimes the legalist way may be well-meaning. The legalist may be well-meaning, attempting to follow the rules because they see it as the right thing to do. But oftentimes in the midst of that, the legalist finds themselves in the same position that the licentious person finds themselves. That's the person who's attempting to not follow any rules. They find themselves in the same spot. You see, legalists are often angry people as well. Legalists are often jealous people. Legalists often have damaged and separated relationships. Legalists are often envious of the people around them. You see, the legalist is also a slave. The legalist has also become a slave to themselves and to these rules they have to live by. You see, he or she is not free. They've bound themselves to their own efforts and their ability to perform. The legalist says, I can do this. I have the strength. I have the power. I can do all these things, and I can win some type of favor with God through this. You see, the legalist is every bit a slave to themselves as the licentious. The person the legalist thinks of by far the most is themselves. The legalist is always thinking, what will others think of me? How will this be viewed? How can I portray this to make me look superior? You see, in their slavery, the legalists can neither be free or happy because they too are refusing to be truly known. You see, the legalists cannot be intimate with the people around them because if they were intimate with the people around them, they'd have to share their whole life. They'd have to share that things may not be going that well. You see, the people around them can't really know the real them. In my legalism, you're not allowed to know me because I'm already a good person. See, both of these are traps. Both of these are false gospels. Both of these keep their inhabitants bound. Legalism binds one party to rules. Licentiousness ties the other uh, really to no rules, to themselves or to some, some idea of freedom, some dream of what could, what could happen. 
But this morning, as we jump into Galatians chapter 5, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn over there. We read just one verse this morning, but I want to dig a little bit deeper into Galatians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, let's turn there this morning because Paul's going to say some things here that are true to both the licentious and the legalist. Okay, He's going to say some things to both parties that are equally true. If you have your Bible open to Galatians chapter 5, jump down to verse 19. Paul here is going to warn the people about living without the Spirit and how it would be evidenced in their life and what would become of it. So Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, so works of the flesh. So let me kind of put that on a T for you. So he's talking really to Christians here, but both groups fit into this. Okay, the believer and the non-believer fit into this. All right. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, idolatry, excuse me, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like it. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, this language here is bold. It's really in our face and it's detailed. And at the end, Paul provides a warning that neither the licentious or the legalist will inherit the kingdom of God. The only freedom either one of those parties will ever know is the freedom that they get here in this world. And because they've bound themselves to the bonds of slavery of this world, they will never really know freedom and they will never really know God. Because they've bound themselves to the things of this world rather than the things of God's world. We see some of the things there, idolatry, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. We see those things in both parties. People who are trying to live without any rules oftentimes end up with broken relationships, rivalries, anger. They're jealous. They have strife, enmity between them and and friends or parents. And the other side of the aisle, the legalist often, again, finds themselves in the same things. And listen, Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Both parties are killing intimacy. Both parties are refusing to be known by others and by God. So as we see that this morning, we, it should begin to beg us the question of what is the solution? If, if living with no rules is not the answer and living with, with a, a ton of rules is not the answer, What is? Well, if you've been around Sacred City long enough, you know the answer that's coming is the gospel. The gospel is the answer to the question in the midst of this. So as we're looking, is Christianity a straitjacket? We see these two parties, licentious and legalist. What's the real solution? The gospel. You see, in Christianity, we believe that ultimate freedom is found in the person of Jesus Christ. For a Christian, the fundamental driving truth that guides our lives is a man dying for his enemies, a man giving up his freedoms so that the captives to sin could be set free. Look back to to, uh, Galatians 5 and verse 1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This short verse is actually split into two parts. There's an assertion here, 
And then there's a command because or based on that assertion. So the assertion is this for freedom. Christ has set us free. So Paul's talking to the Galatian church here who are believers, and he's reminding them that they were once bound to the law, but Jesus came to free them from that slavery, and now they are free from that. And if we also look at those outside of Paul's message to the Galatians, though, we see that the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus coming and dying on the cross, was not just for those who were trying to keep the law, but for all that are slaves to sin. That includes all of us. That includes everyone. So for freedom, Christ has set us free. That's to all people. Yes, Paul is talking to a group of believers here, but as you look at the whole of the gospel, it's for all people. It wasn't just reserved for for those that were already attempting to follow the rules. It was for everyone. And we see in that freedom that Christ has set us free, it's a freedom of of acceptance with God. It's a freedom of access to God through Christ. No longer would the law get you there. No longer would trying to live any way you want to get you there. And then because for freedom Christ has set us free, we see the command. So since that has happened, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You see, in other words, we are to enjoy the freedom of conscience which Christ has brought us with his forgiveness. There's a freedom of conscience that comes in knowing that we are no longer bound to the law. You see, Christ didn't just set our our will free. He set our conscience free from the guilt of sin. And because we are free from the guilt of sin, we can't fall back into the idea that we have to win or somehow earn our acceptance with God. It's not about our effort. It was about Jesus's efforts on our behalf on the cross. And since we're free from the law, we don't fall in to the opposite side either, back into a licentious lifestyle and saying, well, I can live any way I want now because I've been forgiven for it. No, no, we don't want to do that either because then we simply become a slave to another master. See, picture an ox this morning pulling that plow behind it, and it's weighed down by that yoke, and you could just picture it kind of bent over and driving forward. And at the end of the long day, its master comes, and it takes that yoke off of the ox. And you begin to see that ox just stand up once again and have freedom to to roam around, freedom to to live without that yoke burdening him and weighing him down and and literally breaking his back Every day. You see, when Christ met the demands of the law for us, he died, he, excuse me, he died for our disobedience and took on our condemnation so that we could walk upright. So that we no longer were burdened by the yoke of sin on our shoulders. Now we can stand upright. How, how then could we ever dream of living with a constant yoke upon us or again submitting again to the yoke? See, both of those sound really foolish. Picture that ox, and it it finally has the yoke taken off of it, and it looking up at its master and saying, no, put it back on. No, it would never do that, right? The the ox would never ask to have it put back on, but, but Christians in our legalism, we're doing that very same thing. We're saying, put, put the burden back on. I know how to operate out of that mindset. Put, put the weight back on. And then for the other camp, once you've been freed from that, why would you ever go to another master and say, you put put your yoke on me. You put put that bondage on me. 
You see, this becomes the theme of the verses here in Galatians, that Christianity is freedom, not bondage. Christ has set us free so we can stand firm in our freedom, no longer submitting to the yoke of slavery. That comes from legalism or licentiousness. But a lot of us really struggle with, what does it look like to live a Christian life then? So if I'm so free, what am I so free to do? What are the things that I, that I am given to do? Well, Paul didn't leave us hanging on that. It's still in Galatians chapter 5. Look down to verse 22. It gives us a picture of what the Christian is free to do. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law and those who belong to Christ. Jesus have crucified the flesh with flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Listen, in the midst of these these, uh, verses here, we find out exactly what it is the Christian is free to do. The Christian in the midst of this is free to be known. Do you see that in the midst of there? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, no such law against these things, crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. We are free to be known. And I'm free to love others. And I'm free to be loved myself by others. I'm free to let other people in, and I'm also free to enter into other people's lives. I'm now free not only to pursue my own dreams, but I'm also freed up to help you pursue yours. You are no longer an enemy to me. You are no longer in the way of my freedom. You are no longer uh, 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 someone to be in a rivalry with. I'm free to celebrate your successes, and I'm also free to tell you my failures. Both parties now become free to share with each other, free to be human beings rather than human doings. You see, Jesus is far more liberating than you may have thought. These are all the things when Christ is added to our life that should become of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you remember the other list? Now the works of the flesh are evident. Just a few of them, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Like which one of those sounds like a straitjacket? Like one seems that I am constantly at odds with other people. The other seems that I'm free to actually pillow my head at the end of the night, knowing that God has taken care of it, knowing that I can rest. See, Christianity is not about following the rules. It's about following a person, the person of Jesus Christ. See, this is where Christianity differs from every other world religion. Every other world religion says, follow these rules to get to the place you want to go. Follow this set of commands and and you will get there. But Christianity says, follow Jesus. Follow the one who has performed perfectly on your behalf. It's not about following rules. It's about following the person of Jesus. Listen to Jesus's words from John 15 this morning. I'm just going to read over this. In John 15, verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. In verse four, he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. Keep listening. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you uh, will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now listen to this last one. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, never once there did Jesus say, follow all of these rules and you will be good. No, Jesus says, cling to me, follow me, be grafted into my tree. And at the end there, he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. You see, there is freedom in the presence of the right restrictions. Jesus is saying, follow me, cling to me. You see, Christianity is not a straitjacket as some have assumed or others have made it look. Christianity is actually the most liberating truth there is. Because in Christianity, the question is answered of what we were truly made for. Nothing else can tell us what we were truly made for, but Christianity tells us exactly what we were made for. In John 15, Jesus goes on to tell us what ultimate freedom looks like. In verse 12 of chapter 15, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, and so that whatever you ask in the, and, excuse me, ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command so that you will love one another. You see, that's what the Christian freedom is all about. Loving one another. We have been so loved by God now that we are free to go out and love our fellow man. We're not pitted against them in our licentiousness or our legalism. We are free to love the other human beings around us because of what Christ has done. You see, the truth of this text is that you and I were created to know God, to love God, and to serve him, and to find rest in him, and to love others. All of this so that you might carry the good news of the gospel to the whole world and have communion with the Father. You see, it's not a straitjacket. It's the thing that frees us and frees others to be real human beings. It frees us to actually live a full life and not be pitted against everyone we come in contact with. It frees us to love God and love others. So we find in the midst of that that our sin has separated us. And some of the legalists around have tried to begin to pay off 
or, or try to pay off God or try to pay off a debt they owe by doing good deeds. And others around have seen that, and it's made Christianity to appear to be a straitjacket. That won't work. Trying to pay off God with good deeds won't work. You see, Jesus had to die for us. Jesus died for our sin and he rose again that we might have full life. And as you hear that this morning, I hope that it doesn't sound like a straitjacket. I really hope that it sounds like a North Face jacket on a cold winter's day, right? That you are, are comforted and wrapped up in it and free to go out. Though all the selfishness and cruelty of the world is going on around you, you feel yourself loved and free to love others in Christ. Because Jesus came and died the death we deserve, we are free to put away our selfish ambition. We're free to stop trying to earn our salvation through following the rules. Licentiousness and legalism both fail to provide freedom. True freedom can only be found in the gospel. Freedom in the presence of the right restrictions. Jesus said to a group of unbelievers who happened to be legalists in John 8.36, he said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free Indeed, Jesus is saying that freedom is found in no other place but me. And this morning, I invite you to trust Jesus for your freedom. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning, as we found ourselves here, inevitably, some of us were on either end of the spectrum. Some of us have been trying to find freedom in everything that comes along. We've been trying to find freedom in pursuing our, our dreams, pursuing our successes, pursuing uh, whatever it is that we've pictured as the good life. And it's been at the detriment to not only our own soul, but it's been a detriment to the people around us as well. God, many of us, as we've been pursuing these dreams, we've ostracized other, we've pushed them aside, we've, we've cast them into a group and, and said that they're maybe a fundamentalist or they're, uh, they're just too rigid or they're just, uh, don't have it figured out or they don't want to have any fun or they, they're just against us in some way. And God, I pray that this morning as, as the gospel has been presented, that people have heard that true freedom can only be found in you. That outside of you, the only thing to be found is strife and envy, and trouble all the days of our life. God, I pray that this morning that we would see you as more beautiful than the thing we're chasing after. And Father, on the other side of the aisle this morning for the legalist that came in just trying to be a good boy or a good girl and following the rules and, and trying to earn it and trying to keep up some type of appearance and trying to be good. And uh, God, I pray that you would help us too to know that that in itself is a form of slavery that we have once again returned to the heavy yoke and begin to burden ourselves down with rules and regulations, the very rules and regulations Jesus came to set us free from. God, today, would you speak to us, the legalist as well? Would you help us to fight those legalistic tendencies? Would you help us to live real and honest before the people we find ourselves in community with? God, would you help us to be known and to be intimate with the people around us? Because we have nothing to fear because we're known by you. Nobody else's opinion matters. Nobody else's uh, desires for us matters. But Father, what you have told us we are and, and, and you have freed us from the law and may we find our rest in that. God, today we pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds that you would help us to see you as the most beautiful, freeing thing that there is. 
that you would help us to know that you are the place in which we find love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Would you help us to rest in that this morning and find our freedom? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.